1: i'm scott wapner and you're listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast the most profitable hour of the trading day we record this live weekdays at 12 eastern listen in welcome everybody to the halftime report i'm scott wapner front and center this hour stocks at critical levels now and the one name that matters more than any other is your money faces a key test today we discuss and debate the road ahead with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Bryn Talkington, Surat Sethi, Stephen Weiss, and with me right here on set, Josh Brown. Let's check the markets. Carl was just telling you the, a little bit of the price action in the session thus far. Right now we're down 264, S&P down about 1%, NASDAQ down a little bit worse than that. Yields ticked higher today. The data came in a little hot, right? Consumer confidence beat, jolts ahead of estimates. The 10-year note yield is at 311. And I mentioned in the open here, we're at a critical level for stocks, Josh, just about at 4,000. We're, we're below it, just below it by 10 points or so. Now it is a level that many, including you, are watching very closely.
2: Yeah, one of my favorite technicians, Ari Wald at Oppenheimer, talked about this over the weekend, where very clearly the S&P 500 got turned around, almost stopped on a dime, right at its uh, falling 200-day moving average, which has now happened multiple times this year. And the, the rising 50-day, is the most obvious place if we're going to find some support or at least a a place for the sell-off to pause. That might make sense. Obviously, uh, we're below that level right now. We're a long way before we get a weekly close. I tend to focus more on weekly and monthly closes rather than daily because life is too short to get caught up in every whipsaw. Um, But bigger picture, even if we were to find some support at that level, it's very hard for me to take the macro picture and believe that this is it or that's the worst it's going to get. So all year long, I've been telling you there will be bear market rallies. They will end all the same way with a lot of disappointment. Looks like this one from July to August uh, is yet another on the list. And now what we're facing is a situation where the housing market in, in price terms is starting to fall apart. So the last thing I want to say here, uh, U.S. sales of existing homes down another 6% in July. That's 6% months in a row of declining sales, 30 year fixed rate hanging high, five spot, nine, 5%. That is an untenable situation for that housing market to recover. I think you're gonna see lower lows in prices of homes for sale. I think you're gonna see inventory numbers start to balloon higher. And the problem with that, uh, unfortunately, it's great for one portion of the population, younger people trying to buy their first home, but 15 to 18 cents of every dollar is housing market related. And that is a very, very substantial part of our economy that is now going into its own recession for the first time. And I don't know how much of that is in the numbers for things like overall consumer confidence, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So this is where we are. You don't have to like it, you don't have to agree with it, but these are this is what price is telling
1: us is happening. The bear market continues. brand you, you got confirmation this morning, and I yeah. read those data points of an economy that is still strong. The problem with that, of course, is it's probably too strong for the Fed. And you got a lot of Fed speak out over the last 24 hours. Uh, It's Bostic, it's Williams, it's Kashkari yesterday afternoon talking about how he's, you know, glad to see the reaction in the stock market after Powell's hawkish speech on Friday. And you run up against what you've been telling us not to do uh, for months, and that is fight the Fed.
3: Right. That, that's where we are. I mean, I think Chairman Powell has been dealt since he's become Fed chairman, you know, probably one of the, the trickiest times that a Fed chairman has had to deal with probably since Paul, Paul Volcker for totally, totally different reasons. And I think that what's happening right now is the market when Chairman Powell came out and was so crystal clear, like, hey, guys, I'm not kidding. I'm not going to be Arthur Burns. I'm going to be Paul Volcker. Uh, and I, we are going to keep rates higher. For longer until we know for certain inflation is not going to rear its head again, which is, which is a tall order. And so we are in this position right now where the market is recalibrating what multiple it wants to pay for stocks. And so I think what, what Josh hit on on housing is so interesting about what he said was obviously so spot on, but the conundrum that we're in. And so all the stats he gave you about new home sales. It's all about new home sales are, 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 are racking up, but we are still structurally very undersupplied in overall housing. And so we are gonna be in this situation where rents stay higher, energy stays higher. And so I just think that the market has not priced in, that we actually have longer inflation that's stickier. And I, that's where I just don't think we're gonna have this V-shaped rally over the next couple of months in the market just because we're in this time period. And I will say, it's okay if stocks are down this year. I've said it all year long that stocks go down. We've had an amazing 10-year run. If we're ever gonna have a negative year in returns, I feel like this is probably it, but that's okay, because that's the price of admission for an equity investor is to sit through these time periods.
1: Weiss, or, or, is it just boiled down to as, as simply as don't fight the Fed, as we've said, as Bryn has suggested, and a- along with many others, you, you continue to get hawkish members of the fed even ones who were one time you know uber doves coming out and suggesting we want the market to go down we're happy with the reaction to the fed chair's speech on friday the data is too hot for our liking and they're going to continue to put the metal uh the pedal to the floor as long as we continue to get prints like we did this morning it's just a reminder of the task at hand for the fed and how resolute they intend to be because they keep telling us as much
4: yeah, Scott. You know, it's not always that easy, but in this particular situation, it is that easy. I don't know if you're, if, uh, if in the back they're able to put up the chart that I sent in this morning, and I can't see. So you'll have to give me some guidance there if, if it's appearing. But the Fed balance sheet uh, was about one trillion before. Is it up there? So it's up you there. can see there's a very high, high. Okay. So there's a very high correlation between the Fed balance sheet which is now close to $9 trillion. And what the equity market does, that's the S&P 500, the more jagged line there. So you've seen the balance sheet go from 1000000000000 trillion pre-housing crisis to $2 trillion in the housing crisis. Now, the housing crisis, I would argue, was a much more devastating, had much more devastating impact to the economy than the pandemic did in a longer period of time. So it swelled up to $9 trillion. Some estimates say the Fed balance sheet's going to come down by at least three and a half trillion. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that at 95 billion per month starting September. So my point is this. What bulls hang on to is the economy strong. We will see parts of the economy being strong, as we saw in the numbers you referenced. But nothing goes up or down together. It's not that coordinated. But what is coordinated at this point in time is that every developed market, every developed country, is raising rates and tightening it. The ECB balance sheet looks exactly the same. So I would argue that you've got more than three and a half trillion to come down. So this is just black and white to me. There is no excuse for not paying attention to this. All I can imagine is that the bulls just get paid to be bullish. They commiserate with most of the people that pay their incomes. So they've got to be positive. It's like if you go to a Springsteen concert, and they bring the Archies on as the opening act, you're going to say, hey, what's going on here? Same thing there. So bulls have to be bullish. In terms of being reality, which is where I am, right. I see them being delusional well, at this environment. Speaking so of, yes, I think the market goes lower.
1: Speaking, well, I know everybody wants to know the same answer to the same question. If we're going lower, how much lower, Sirad, are we going to go? Are the lows going to be in jeopardy or have we come too far or not? Uh, Mark Newton at FunStrat, you know, he's Tom Lee's right hand guy. Uh, he says that the SP pullback likely bottoms at 39.80 to 4,000 this week. I mean, that's right the window of where we are now. And that undeniably, Apple is the key to the whole thing. Apple needs to stop falling, he says, to provide some tailwind for the SP. Now, that's not, you know, I don't, it's not you know, breaking perhaps new ground, but we've been saying that that sentiment. We've been saying that. Um, But now it's maybe more important than it has been, um, you know, in in a while for, for obvious reasons about the size of Apple, the amount of and the number of people who are invested in that stock. The fact that it was at 174, it's right below 160 now. And that holds the key, at least right now, to the whole story.
5: Yeah, and I think it does, it's one of the things about Apple, if you see people selling it, it could signal a lack of confidence because that has been the bellwether. That's been the one stock to own, 7% of the S&P, hey, this thing's going to be doing well through thick and thin. So I think that is a very important uh, you know, indicator to look at. And I also think right now, after having that, that speech on Friday with lower volumes going through this week, and earnings estimates really haven't come down yet. Um so I think that's another overhang on the market. So I'm not sure we we don't, you know, go below 3900 here because I think the the estimates coming down, rates coming up, uh balance sheet getting, you know, uh, as Steve talked about. So you've got some cross currents at least in the short term that, you know, uh you got to look at and say, "Hey, the reality is it doesn't really matter what you own at this point. Things are going to slowly come down. We had a good run, and we got to rebase from there."
1: Yeah. So I know, Josh, you said we've been saying this the, the whole time, and, and largely we, we have been discussing the importance of Apple. By the way, I don't know if you're on Twitter or not, but the uh, Boris Johnson hairdo references are absolutely <laughs> on point uh, today. Uh, so I don't know if you're on Twitter, Tweet Deck, pull it up, because, I mean, they're all over the place. Everybody's sort of channeling that.
2: Let me, say, let me say something that I think is really important. I think what it comes down to is who are, who are you listening to? Um, I don't understand how a person could spend 30 years on Wall Street and not learn how to read a chart. Like I I really what 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 else if you're if you're at all commenting on the intermediate term in the market, surely you have to understand that valuation is not going to give you any kind of signal whatsoever over that time frame. It might tell you what types of investments to make over three, five, and ten year periods, but you could have the same company, same fundamentals, trade anywhere from 12 to 17 times earnings inside of a six-month period, and there'd be absolutely no fundamental reason for that. It could just be the presence of macro forces and supply-demand dynamics for stocks. That's what, so for every person that comes on and says the earnings are still strong, okay, number one, in real terms, they're not. Number two, yes, people are paying up for goods in the real economy, not by choice. And it's pissing them off that they have to do it. And that's why sentiment is in the the dumpster. And then number three, let's all bear in mind, the Fed is not doing surgery. The Fed is a lumberjack, it has two tools, it has an ax and a chainsaw. The ax are the the rate hikes and the chainsaw is whatever they're gonna do with their portfolio. They're gonna try to shave uh, $2 trillion off of a bond portfolio. And you think valuation is gonna support your stock or you think the presence of earnings not, not falling yet? That's not gonna help you. It's sentiment declining, it's technicals worsening, and it's a liquidity picture that we haven't even seen. It's not even September yet. So I've been talking about this. We haven't even seen the effect of a $95 billion cap on, uh, on bonds maturing and not being replaced. We don't even know what that does to the liquidity picture. So I think the bulls have been resting their laurels, especially during this summer rally on, quote, unquote, the earnings haven't fallen
1: yet it doesn't matter. Well, it's not the only thing they're talking about. They're talking about too Bryn, the fact that tell us what we don't know, right? The market knows. Market knows what's coming from the Fed. Doesn't it? I mean, at this point, we've not we well, so priced ben that doesn't in know what's coming haven't from the Fed? Priced, haven't we priced well, something in?
3: Well, I think, so So we, the market prices new information in every day. That's why we were down a thousand points on Friday. So, so, so yes, that gets priced in. That's why the jolts number, we still have 11 point, whatever million jobs opening. That's gets priced in instantly. But, but to Josh's point on sentiment, sentiment, sentiment and positioning drive the short term valuation of multiples don't matter. Okay. So, but, but I will say this though, is that where, from from a bullish perspective, I've been thinking through, you know, looking at different people's year-end targets for the S and P. Which that's not my job. I'm not a strategist. I'm, I run money for private clients. I'm an asset allocator. And but when I look at those, and I and to hit on the earnings picture for a second. So 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 goal. I'm going to use Goldman's numbers. Goldman has an estimate for $226 for the S and P this year. Actually, energy, which is only 4.8% of the S and P is gonna make up $26 of that. And then, so you really haven't, if you go through each sector, you really haven't had much growth at all from any of the other sectors. Energy has been definitely punching above its weight. And so to me, what I think through, if you're gonna rally to 4,800 or 5,000, that's all gonna be multiple expansion. And so I just don't see in this type of environment, and once again, we have midterms, a lot can happen, I just don't see multiple expansion, which is going to be the only reason we get a rally. That, that's why I'm very skeptical on that year-end rally at this point, because I don't think multiple expansion, this is, this is the right environment with the ingredients for that to occur.
1: Yeah, You mentioned positioning, uh, sentiment. Positioning is negative. That's obvious. Uh, but there's more evidence of exactly where uh, it is. Sevita, Sobermanian, Bank of America, clients sold equities for the second consecutive week. Outflows led by hedge funds. Wolf says uh, investors need to exercise caution. Let's talk to another strategist. He's Chris Heisey. He's the CIO of Maryland Bank of America Private Bank. He joins us now. He's our headliner today. You disagree with anything you heard?
6: No, I don't think. How how can you? I mean, I think it's so well said. Uh, You know, far be it for me to to poke holes in any of those uh, debates or dialogue or arguments. I think it's spot on. The one thing I would say, Scott, you talked about is the market trying to price this in. And we know the this, like you said, what we don't know is the magnitude of this, the magnitude of earnings decline. It's pretty much baked in the cake for next year. Earnings are gonna decline. You know, Josh talked about it, Bryn talked about it, Sarat talked about it, Steve obviously covers a lot of this. From my perspective, uh, it's really important to understand the magnitude. And we don't have enough information yet to understand the magnitude. All we can know is the fact that balance sheet contraction mixed with higher cost of capital mixed ultimately with great unknowns around the world and the fact that multiples are coming down and we don't know the magnitude of all this means it's time for defense and that's okay i think Bryn talked about that it's and and josh talked about you know it's okay to play defense until you get through and according to what the fed said I mean, the fed used some very forceful words they said um we're okay with some pain or we're, we're going to see some pain we're going to be forceful uh they're about strongly caution these are very, very strong words, and that means higher for longer. And if anybody knows anything about investing, if it's higher for longer, you really should be looking at high free cash flow areas, pricing power areas, demand that's going to hold up relative to, to supply. So unless,
1: unless their words end up being stronger than their actions, right? That, that's part of what the Fed does, too, right? Maybe it's just a big, healthy dose of jawboning from Powell. He needs uh, financial conditions to tighten. Right. which they haven't really in fact you can make a big argument that they loosened uh since the last speech at the not not jackson hole but but the press conference um how do you how do you factor it and by the way if the a bull was on the set today jim labenthal was sitting right here he'd say okay that's great nothing new we know all of this and the economy is strong enough to withstand all of it as evidenced by even the data that came out today so how do you counter that well
6: we have to parse them what what strength means in the economy. You know a lot of it is price hikes or at least inflationary driven growth. If you're going to pull liquidity out of the markets, then there's less liquidity to do things with. And if you're of low quality nature, you're no longer supported by the liquidity. So by by and large, the amount of people adding to growth in the economy is coming down. Uh, can we stabilize? Absolutely. This is a very resilient corporate America and a very resilient economy overall. But I think the big question is, Is can it support, can higher interest rates support the multiples that we're used to? They, they probably are more likely normalized on a lower earnings number. So the market needs to reset a little bit and then kickstart a whole new cycle, which, let's be honest here, Get through these next six, nine months of a reset. Scott, we're setting ourselves up for the next three, five, seven, ten years of most likely the greatest revolution of automation we've ever seen. And if we have a low labor supply, the only thing corporate America can do is create labor supply out of automation, which should kickstart some productivity and, and gain a whole new profit cycle. So we're bullish in the long term, want to play defense in the short term. And yes, Uh, You're right. Maybe their maybe their words are stronger than their action. But at this point, that's not a high probability.
1: I mean, could you could you still have a roaring 20s, Josh, if it starts late, mid to late 23? Yes, it carries on for years. Why why couldn't you? So what if it didn't start when a lot of people
2: thought? You absolutely can actually go back and look. I mean, not that I think it's like a a perfect analog, but go back and look at 1921. Not a great year, but that volatility set set us up for a roaring 20 so if we are going to be an innovation driven uh, bull market over the course of this decade which I would not rule out it's too early uh, and of course I'm long-term bullish that would be great but we're talking about what's going on right now and I think what's going on right now is this dawning realization that the 15 percent average annual returns that we enjoyed for 10 years have a price tag this is the price right now we're paying it the v-shaped recoveries are gone we had two this year, one in, one in March and one in August, and both of them failed exactly where you would have expected them to fail at a declining 200 day moving average um, or a 40 week moving average. However, you want to phrase it, that intermediate uh, to long term time frame is a downtrend. And again, if you're unable to pick that up by looking at a chart, if you're instead burying yourself, in ceo comments from a company that just managed to beat earnings by two pennies you are missing the very big picture but what i want to ask is um don't we have to avoid the arthur burns mistake and have a fed that says okay my work is done here and then immediately starts to pivot or pause don't we almost have to overshoot here so that we don't experience what the markets went through in 1975 for example um and if that's the case this is something that powell Not only has never had to do himself, but in his entire tenure at the Federal Reserve, which dates back nine years, he's never witnessed any Fed chairman have to do. He has to take this too far in order to ensure that these inflationary forces don't come roaring right back the moment the market thinks that the Fed's about to ease up. That's like an ugly task to have to pull off. Don't you agree?
6: Yeah, Josh, uh, from my perspective, I think you're right. That's one of the reasons why those words were used. And the short tenor of the statement in general, that, that was one of the shortest statements coming out of Jackson Hole we've seen in years. And then on top of that, you've got double tools here. You've got a uh, bump up in interest rates, which is not the issue. Uh, interest rates can go to 4% in the short short run. That's really not the issue. It's, it's the amount of liquidity that could come out. To your point, uh, if they continue with this balance sheet contraction all the way through next year and into 24, that will be something we've never seen in that magnitude. Yes, there's been a lot of liquidity put on there, five and a half trillion plus through the pandemic, but to pull it out in a short span like that, that that's, that's something very tough to handle. So overall, I think, um, you know, eventually, uh, realism will take over. Inflation will come down and, and come down sharply. The back end of the curve will tell us that, not just from a breakeven perspective, but actually yields dropping pretty aggressively. Uh, longer dated treasuries might be an interesting area in the coming six months, and then ultimately you get the reset, and the Fed realizes that inflation is back down to a level they can they can feel good about. They don't want to double dip either on inflation or the economy. But at, if that happens the Fed pauses, then that's where you could rekickstart the profit cycle. We just have to be real here, though. Yeah, your right.
1: point. No, yeah. get real. That's what we're trying to do. Heisey, I appreciate it. That's Chris Heisey again, uh, Merrill Bank of America joining us uh, today. Uh, energy's the biggest loser. It's still on pace to be the best-performing sector this month, and some of our investment committee members are making moves in that space, which means we'll tell you about them and, of course, debate it. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business
0: keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
1: All right, we're back. Uh, it's a down day for stocks. You saw the Dow's down 250. We do have a number of moves that the committee is making, and let's go through those. Uh, Josh Brown, so you added to Uber, mm. and you added to Chenier. We've been talking about Chenier a lot lately. I know you've been looking at it. Uh, tell me about that.
2: Uh, Uber is one of the small handful of companies that had been lumped in with this like innovation basket of loss-producing, uh, profitless growth companies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that did not make a new low or dip below the pandemic low um, in, the, in the recent sell-off over the summer. And actually, the stock is giving nothing back since reporting on August 2nd. And the reason why is that Uber put up almost $400 million in in uh, in positive free cash flow. This is the first time they've been able to report a positive free cash flow number. Revenue is on fire. It's gone. It, it's gone up 33 percent year over year. Um, and when you look at the 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 mobility business, which is what they're calling uh, rideshare. The mobility business is the key to the whole thing. So the delivery Uber Eats, it got them through the pandemic. Now that we've reopened, that business is explosive. 122 million people during the course of the quarter utilized Uber's uh, mobility. That will only grow as time goes on. And now this company is getting toward profitability a lot faster than a lot of people thought they could. Did you know it's it's
1: outperforming every other stock in the S&P this month? Listen to me. It's it's sub $50
2: billion market cap. Nobody's paying attention to it. I think the stock may have put in a bottom here and it holding that post pandemic low this summer when so many other names in this category haven't been able to, I think is screaming
5: Um, and
1: and I've taken notice of it. Yes. Sirach, go ahead, because I was going to come to you anyway. I know you own it as well.
5: I do, and I agree with Josh. Let me just add a couple more things here. So you've you've got two more catalysts here. One is they've added the taxi app on Uber, so you can actually get taxis through the Uber app. The second one is when you look at Uber versus its competitors, it's the only global company out there. Lyft is much more domestic. So as we see travel pick up and people actually are moving and they're getting less rental cars and using this and people getting out and about, this is a company that is really hitting in all cylinders Add to the fact that we're talking about, everybody's talking about, well, what companies do you want to own that have cash flows now front and center? This has not been owned by a lot of investors. The speculative growth investors are out of this. So you're kind of in this, hey, who really owns the stock? So so we've owned it for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm still buying it. Uh, and I think, you know, the investor base is changing to long term investors.
1: now. OK, uh, now let's ping pong back to Josh with the LNG. Shanir, which you bought more of, too. I mean, that gas is the talk uh, everywhere
5: this was 175
2: the other day it's down at 158 this is still a raging bull market energy in general is one of only three sectors that are green on the year the other two being healthcare and utilities um, tells you how defensive and inflation oriented this market has been this year um, but even within energy this hyper specific group there's probably only three or four um, liquid natural gas plays terminal plays that are able to ship to Europe and Asia. This is going to be a supply shortage story for probably the next five to ten years. There's nothing that can happen with oil, with uranium, with coal, there is nothing that can happen um, that's going to change the supply-demand imbalances around the world. So in Amsterdam, the price of European natural gas had a little bit of a short-term blow-off. That's great. Good news for, I guess, society. But That's a market that longer term structurally should be higher. And I think Chenier works because they are one of the only companies that can meet the raging demand for for liquid natural gas wherever there is a terminal set up Mm -hmm. to receive that delivery. Okay,
1: Uh, Bryn, speaking of energy, let's talk. Uh, You sold calls in Devon, the XOP and Viper Energy.
3: So back in june remember i was telling you i thought energy was toppy that was before biden even went to saudi Um, obviously energy had a big sell-off and then has now had a big rally so i feel like energy is getting back to that level again where it's getting toppy and so i don't want to sell the positions that i have left and so there's really some great premium i mean i sold xop i sold the 160 calls last friday it was at 150. i just looked it's like at 142 but you're i got like 7.6 percent um, premium for selling the 160 calls that expire in December. So I think for investors that 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 have energy, if you have at least 100 shares, you can sell calls against those names. You know, Viper and Devon just the same. You're getting outsized call premium because mm-hmm. really the energy is to the upside and so those call premiums expand. So I think it's a really good time if you don't want to sell those positions, sell those December, January calls. You can collect, you know, really five to seven percent income for just like four to five months. So I think it's a good trade to add some hedges and some risk and some income on positions I don't want to sell.
1: Okay. Weiss, quickly before we go, uh, what did you sell? Ford?
4: I sold Ford. Uh, Look, I think that the consumer is going to continue to be hit. And that while Ford's doing great now uh, and sales are crushing, they raised prices on some vehicles. Uh, I just think the time's going to come where that's not going to be the case as we saw with housing housing could never go down again and here we have it down every month five or six months uh so i've got enough position enough position in porsche and volkswagen i'm happy staying there because that's event driven when they spin out porsche estimates are it's going to be worth about 60 billion a sizable portion of the market cap in volkswagen and look at ferrari i mean that's 45 yeah. times earnings yeah i've got volkswagen five times so that's why i kept that
1: all right uh when we come back take a look at this mystery chart it's a beaten up area of tech it's down more than 30 percent this year and now an ominous new note is out today saying that group could plunge another 25 percent we reveal the sector we'll debate the call i think we're getting a call in too somebody somebody's watching the program right now has a lot of thoughts to share with all of you next
7: Good afternoon. Here's your CNBC News update. U.S. Secret Service Assistant Director Tony Ornato is retiring after more than 25 years. It's a significant departure two months after explosive testimony by a former White House aide who alleged Ornato had told her then-President Donald Trump was irate upon learning his security detail would not take him to the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Severe storms that brought damaging winds, heavy rains and flash flooding flooding to parts of the Midwest and the South are blaming for the deaths of three people, two children in Michigan and Arkansas and a woman in Ohio. The storms also knocking out electrical service to hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses in Michigan and Indiana. And Uber is rolling out new safety features that will allow users to talk to a live safety agent and text 911 operators in the case of an emergency. The new feature, called Live Help, will let riders and drivers speak to a safety agent through a partnership with a security company, ADT. Now, Uber says currently about 60 percent of the U.S. has access to that update. Scott, I'll send it back to you.
1: I appreciate that very much. That's Seema Modi. I told you we have our big call of the day coming up, and it's something you want to hear. I also mentioned that somebody was listening and wanted to call in. It's Mohamed El-Aryan, uh, who we wanted to welcome on our program today because you were listening. It's great to talk to you, by the way. You were listening to our, our discussion at the top of the program regarding what the Fed is likely to do, what it might mean for stocks. And, and what do you want to share with, with our viewers on what your current view is?
8: Thanks, Scott. Look, I really liked what Josh and others were saying about what the Fed should do. The data, the commentary all points to higher for longer. So I don't have any issue with that. It really is what the Fed will do, and this Fed in particular. What will it do? Remember, the chair's comments have always been hawkish until he gets to the Q&A. He didn't have the Q&A this time around. Remember, the global economy is weakening much faster than most people expected. So the only question I would have is not what the Fed should do, but what will the Fed end up by doing? because if it flip-flops, that's actually worse for stocks than if it's permitted and gets in the inflation genie back into the bottle. Mm. So I think the uncertainty around the Fed is actually much higher than what's suggested by the discussion.
1: So you are more of a don't believe the Fed rather than don't fight the Fed at this point?
8: I am wait to see whether the Fed follows up. If he was serious at Jackson Hole, he would have extended his eight-minute speech, which is an unusually short speech, to do two other things. One, explain why to us they've made all these policy errors, and how are they better at forecasting inflation? And second, point to a pathway for changing their framework. They still have a framework that is inflationary. And until they change that framework, I think there's going to be a lot of people Asking questions about the seriousness.
1: I get it, but wh- why does the time of the speech matter? It's the it's the the substance of, of what he said, and, and he was as hawkish as as we've ever we've ever heard him. And, and who cares about revisionist history, um, Muhammad? Oh, they they made care. mistakes. They know they they know they did, but that doesn't preclude them from making the right move this time, just because they were you know carelessly wrong, if you want to characterize it as that. On on their outlook for inflation he told you he was direct it's been followed up by Kashkari who came out and said we like the fact that the stock market went down that's not good no that's good about the present but you have to deal with the past
8: and the future. Remember, Fed communication is key. Forward policy guidance is essential. If you want to soft land an economy or softish landish or limit damage, people have to believe you. And until you own up to your mistakes, the ECB has owned up to its mistake. The Bank of England has owned up to its mistake. Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of the Treasury has done so. Um, the Fed hasn't yet. They haven't explained why their inflation forecast. Every time they issue a quarterly forecast, people dismiss them almost immediately Scott so it is important to own and explain what you're doing better now
2: Hey, Mohammed it's Josh Brown the Fed uh, up until recently with a straight face was talking about something called average inflation targeting which was I don't know if it went so far as to become a policy but it was an idea where because rates had been so abnormally low for so long that actually we could tolerate a few years or even a decade of them being slightly too high and that the average over that longer period of time would be like acceptable or okay i have to believe that that idea has now been thrown on the scrap heap of history and we're not going to hear anything like that ever again am i overstating things what do you think
8: no it should but it hasn't that's the problem so that that concept was codified in their new monetary framework which they implemented at the wrong time in 2021 it is still there Mm. so if you look at the framework that governs the fed it is exactly what josh said and until they deal with that there's going to be questions as to their commitment look i think we're all on the same wavelength this fed has got to get serious and deal with inflation. It's not going to be pleasant in the short term. We're going through a change in the liquidity regime. But over the long term, it's better. The worst thing is if we enter next year with both inflation and growth concerns. That's the, the very worst thing for agriculture.
1: But even in the near term, Mohammed, and I'll link this to the last mm-hmm. question. Um, under your thesis, then, uh, what if I said, well, if Mohammed's right, then why would I want to sell stocks here? Because he's essentially suggesting that the Fed is going to pivot can't believe that they're going to follow through on everything they've said because they haven't proven to have the fortitude to do that. They're not going to do it now. So you must think that stocks are not going down by that much. So I think stocks have some support
8: from technicals um, because I think bonds remain vulnerable. However, if they flip flop, if they repeat the mistake of the 70s, stocks will see through that immediately. I don't think people will be fooled. Um, you know, we've got an inflation problem. We've got to deal with it before. Um, unless we deal with it, growth is going to be problematic. Earnings are going to be problematic. We've got to deal with this inflation problem.
1: You know, I appreciate you listening to the program. And um, even more so than that, I, I appreciate you sharing your view with, uh, with us and, your, and our viewers. Mohammed, thanks so much. No, thank you. All right, that's Alianz and uh, the Gramercy advisor there. That's Mohammed el Arian. Up next, it's Santoli's Midday Word. Plus, we're looking ahead to CrowdStrike earnings after the bell. Josh Brown owns that. city. Here's the headline we're going to talk about, too. We are entering the worst semi downturn in at least a decade. That's what they say. Find out what our committee says. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. Uh, pay attention to what the Fed does, not what they say. Mike, that's essentially the message from El Arian just now.
9: Sure. Um, unfortunately, we kind of know what they're going to do uh, to the extent we can ahead of the, the jobs number and the CPI number. Uh, and what they say uh, is seems to be operating on the premise that they want to assume they're not going to get any help from the data. right? At least at this point, uh, the idea is keep markets off balance to expect you know, something on the hawkish end of the spectrum because we just don't know if inflation is going to cooperate. And I keep pointing out that I don't think that the end game is to get markets lower or, or make them much weaker or really tighten financial conditions. For their own sake. It's to get inflation down. So if inflation comes down on its own, then we don't have to worry about it. But clearly today's numbers this morning, the job openings number. Remember Powell on Friday said that the labor market is clearly out of balance. And so that showed you again, if you thought it was out of balance on Friday, it remains so. And so there's more to do in terms of softening up employment. I guess that's what the market's dealing with. Interestingly, once again, we seem to have a little bit of a minor rally attempt right around the European close. That's where the lows for the day were. The two-year note yield shot to 3.5 and, and came back down a little bit. It's very linear. We know what the raw nerves
1: are. We know which data are going to inflame them. So 4,000, number yeah. a lot of people are watching. I want your input on the importance of holding that, uh, which we're below now by about 20 or so points. And then there's Apple, right, which Mark Newton suggests right now, is the key to the whole thing.
9: Well, it's the key to the whole thing if you want to simply, uh, you know, have the index do a certain thing. or you, You're looking for help uh, for support of the index. Absolutely. Um, it, it also is, is kind of one of those stocks that sort of serves so many different purposes for different holders that, yes, I understand why you would focus on that. I don't know if the round number 4,000 is that important. You know, everyone's looking at this uh, 39 80 ish is, is like halfway down from the the high uh, from the low to the high of the rally in June to August that's another point you know, look all this stuff matters the, the bottom line to me is we're at the lower reaches of what can still be called a routine pullback from the highs
1: yeah seen a few that's Mike Santoli right. with his midday word and of course everybody will see and hear from him with his last word in overtime still ahead a big call in the semis as I mentioned plus CrowdStrike is after the bell Josh owns it he gives his perspective on that in two minutes. All right. Welcome back. I mentioned CrowdStrike reporting in overtime tonight. Josh Brown, uh, everybody knows at this point you own it. Uh, It's been a relative outperformer. What do we think? Yeah, all of these stocks look good. All of the
2: cybersecurity stocks, uh, including CrowdStrike. And I think the reason why is this is one area in SaaS where the macro economy doesn't give you the excuse that you can cut back spending. If anything, in times like these with geopolitical tensions, you might want to ramp up your cybersecurity spending. Otherwise, it could be game over. And that applies to small businesses and large. So I think the, the company has to do, like, over $2 billion tonight in what's called ARR, annual recurring revenue. That is the most important metric that Wall Street watches for when these companies report. If they can say something over $2 billion, it should augur well for some follow-through of the recent rally.
1: All right, we will, we'll watch that, obviously. And over time, when the numbers hit, stock moves, and we'll bring that to you then. Now to the semis, and I said an ominous call, right? We are entering the worst semi downturn in at least a decade. That's what Citi says today. Surat, I'm coming to you, okay? You own Nvidia, you own Qualcomm. We believe the socks can fall another 25%, roughly 15% driven by multiple correction and another 10% driven by EPS cuts. Quote unquote from Jim Cramer. I think the City piece is gonna be proven as too negative but even he admits tough to get in the way of that today.
5: Yeah, look, in the short term, th- this could be right. But longer term, when I mean, the companies we were talking about like Nvidia, Qualcomm, some of the higher margin businesses, you don't even have enough supply out there. And the question is, you know, when that does meet demand, you're going to get the product cycle out there. And that's dependent on the apples of the world and a lot of other things that need more subbing inductors. So I think a lot of it's already been discounted. Maybe you get some more pain. But longer term these are the companies you want to own and maybe if some of the super growth investors get out of semis it gives you a better opportunity but fundamentally these are companies you want to own for three to five years because they have balance sheets they have high margin they have you know they're spending a lot of money on r d that's what you really have to look at say who's going to be reinvesting in the cycles and they've been doing that so i want to own these companies even if there's short-term pain and it's been by the way short-term pain Mm -hmm. i mean they're they're
1: all down already bryn already discounted or look out below
3: Well, we'll see, but I mean, I think for investors, I own NVIDIA, I think you should go listen to the call from Jensen Wong just, just the week and a half ago. He talks about they have too much inventory on the gaming side. And so that will take a few quarters to work that out until they come out, until they work that out. So I don't necessarily think that it's new news. I know that the city report for the viewers that, that, that couldn't read it talked a lot about auto chips, which I mean. I'm not a semiconductor analyst, but I thought we had an auto ship chip shortage. So I have to read the report a little bit in more detail because we just went from a shortage now to a glut. Mm -hmm. But I do think this is gonna be a wonderful opportunity for investors to buy an Nvidia if, if it does continue to sell off. Okay,
1: quick break. We come back, we do final trades next. All right, four o'clock Eastern time in overtime. Joe Terranova's with us. Kevin Simpson, Brenda Vangelo. We mentioned uh, Leslie Picker's going to have the CrowdStrike earnings, so we're going to see what happens. We'll see the stock move as well. We'll give you some top dividend plays. You don't want to miss that. And then Dan Ives is with us. Elon Musk is fighting back even more. See what he thinks the end game is there, what the impact is not only on Twitter, but certainly for Tesla, which Dan Ives covers. All right, final trades. Weiss, your first.
4: I'm sure at the XLI, it's a hedge, and uh, against some of the stocks that they own are in there, but I think it goes lower.
1: Okay. Bryn.
3: Oh, it's probably a little early to buy here, but FCG, it's a natural, ga- natural gas ETF. I wholeheartedly agree with what Josh said, so put FCG on your radar.
1: Okay. Surat?
5: Edison International, uh, utility in the West Coast, 4% dividend yield, uh, 15 times earnings. It's a great defensive play with
1: rising earnings. Okay. Uh, Josh Brown.
2: Yeah, I think Uber, I think that that August 1st uh, level pre-earnings, which is about 24 and change 25, should be a sustainable bottom. The upside is significantly greater than four points. I really like the setup here. Okay.
1: Uh, So we'll continue to watch uh, S&P 4000. We're about 15 points below that. See where we end up, and I'll see you in OT.